Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Now, the Chorus Radio Network presents The Roy Green Show with Roy Green, keeping you informed and entertained. Now, here's Roy. I want you to be aware, as we start, that we're keeping an eye, of course, on the situation in Toronto with the jury for the James Forcillo murder trial, the Toronto police officer. If the jury, in fact, does deliver a verdict while we're on the air, we will have a legal opinion on that for you immediately. In fact, we'll be talking to two former Crown attorneys throughout the show, and Scott Newark coming up in a few minutes' time, former Alberta Crown attorney, former executive director of the Canadian Police Association, and this argument's been made, position's been put forward, that police officers, while on duty, should not be facing, should know that they're not facing criminal charges unless there is clear evidence they have committed a crime. Is that something that you could buy into? We're going to talk about that. And the situation between Montreal Mayor Denny Kadare and Western Canadian politicians is deteriorating. We're going to be talking to the leader of the Wildrose Party, the official opposition in Alberta, Brian Jean, at the top of the next hour. Mr. Kadare said to Radio Canada that Brian Jean probably thinks the Flintstones is a documentary. Get nasty. Mr. Kadare will not respond to my invitations to appear on this program yet. Tragic situation. Tragic in Saskatchewan at Laloche. Town of 3,000 people. Rural town. People in small rural communities are very tight. And I, I have no idea. I have no idea how they get through this. Losing four people, allegedly to four citizens, four human beings, four fellow community members, family members, allegedly to a 17-year-old member of the community as well. Joining us on the program to uh, speak to us about what's going on in Lalosh is Angela Hill. She's the news director for News Talk 650 in Saskatoon. Angela has been coordinating uh, the reporting and all of the uh, the efforts, reporting efforts going on at uh, News Talk 650 in, in Saskatoon, CKOM, doing a great job at that, too. One of the most difficult things to do, isn't it, Angela, as a news person? I uh, just want to talk to you about you and your reporters. We cover so many stories, but when there's human tragedy involved, it really brings it down to the most personal denominator. It is. It's awful, because we're all people, obviously, as we go about our, our day, and we have to find out how to get the best information, how to help the public understand what's going on. We need to figure out what's going on ourselves, and we need to handle it in a way that is very respectful of all the people involved. As you mentioned, it's a small community. Everybody knows everybody, and so it's this struggle to get the information out as quickly as possible, but not harm anyone while doing that. What is the information that is coming out? Do we know motive? Do we know if he allegedly targeted the four people um, killed? So we don't know motive yet. Uh, later yesterday, we did hear from RCMP, who sort of broke down the day's events as it happened. Uh, Friday afternoon at about 1 p.m., uh, calls about a shooter in the Lalosh Community School, the Dene High School portion of that community school, were made saying there is a shooter in the school uh, between 108 and 110, RCMP arrived on scene, saw 
you know, a, a bullet hole in the front doors, saw sort of the, the panic that was going on. They managed to have that 17-year-old shooter, uh, alleged shooter, under arrest by 1.15. So it, it was really 15 minutes uh, between that first call and him being under arrest. At that point, they did learn there was a second location uh, where there were people um, who had been killed. So uh, the two people at that residence, which is 300 Dene Crescent in that community, uh, were found dead. In the school, there were nine people shot. Um, two of those uh, have now since passed away. We've learned there uh, a teacher's aide, a 21-year-old Marie Janver, and 35-year-old Adam Wood, a teacher from actually Ontario who just moved there in September. Uh, and then seven others injured. We've learned that uh, four of those have been flown to RUH, Royal University Hospital, here in Saskatoon. An additional three still in the loss at this time until weather improves enough to get them flown out as well. So that's sort of the, the latest on the what happened as far as the series of events. And, and now it's just we're in the community. We're listening to politicians of all stripes, from federal to municipal to indigenous communities, all speaking about the tragedy, the effect, and what they're going to do to try and help. What can they do? Because I know the Premier is, uh, as you said, in the last today. question is, does the province have a role to play? Should it have played a role in the community earlier? We're told young people are committing suicide at an alarming rate in the lot. That is uh, sort of the question that I think is being asked. Uh, there are suicide prevention programs, and, and Brad Wall talked about those yesterday. Uh, but, I mean... The suicide rate in that community is three times the Saskatchewan average. So, I mean, that's from a study in, in 2007, 2008. Um, but what they're saying now is, is they want to find out what else they can be doing. It's, it's almost like this has maybe attracted a, a greater level of attention to what's going on. So he did make a, sort of a preliminary uh, message yesterday uh, to reporters out of Regina uh, when he spoke about reaching out to the states to find out how they handle school shootings and, and, and individuals there who can help sort of talk about how to move forward from this. Um, and then today he's actually speaking right now in the community of Laloche and trying to figure out, meeting with uh, local leaders there to find out what else can be done. I'm just looking at some emails that I received over the last 24 hours from listeners. And I want to go back to something that uh, about the 17-year-old who's alleged to have done the shooting. There was social media that he posted on social media, uh, apparently, that he had shot two people, killed two people, and was heading for the school. The question that I've seen time and again is, um, was there time, would there have been time to intercept him between his posting that on social media and him getting to the school? And the other question that I see a lot is, how did police manage to bring it to a conclusion as quickly and apparently as, under the circumstances, efficiently as they did? So, I mean, as far as going from point A to point B and was there enough, I think that is something that police continue to look at. That's not something they've been able to comment on yet. You know, I have seen those uh, messages myself, and it's actually really heartbreaking when you look at it. I mean, it's someone who texted as simply as, I don't want to be here anymore. I've done this, and here's what I'm going to do next. It's the simplest of messages. There's no motive implied or anything else. And, and I mean, at this point, too, it, we see these third and fourth hand that have made it to social media. So how much of that, who knows where those have come from? And I think we'll learn more about that as police 
talk to, to this alleged shooter and, and the community and, and continue their investigation. Uh, the other part you asked about was uh, how quickly they brought it to an end. What police have said is they just use, they call it loud verbal commands. So they said they didn't have to negotiate. It, to me, what it sounds like in, in real person speak is they went in, located him, pointed their weapons at him, and said, drop the gun, and it sounds like he complied. So, I mean, I might be oversimplifying it, but I just look at the timeline, and I look at the fact that he is alive, and I look at the fact that they said they use verbal commands, and that's sort of the picture that I I see painted. So soon after the uh, the tragic shootings and the loss of life, we have so many questions that are just begging answers, and we'll get those answers as time goes on, and you're doing a great job at uh, CKOM and, and sourcing out that information. And thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thank you. Angela Hill is the News Director at News Talk 650 CKOM in Saskatoon. On the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network, tragic circumstance in, in La Loche and our condolences to the community and to the province of Saskatchewan. When we come back, we'll talk to Scott Newark, former Crown Attorney and uh, past Executive Director of the Canadian Police Association. He was also a senior policy advisor to the Federal Minister for Public Safety. We'll talk about the police trial, the trial of James Forcillo, the Toronto police officer, waiting for the jury to come come back with its verdict. It could happen anytime. could happen while we're on the air. And uh, we'll talk to Scott about that. I also have a question for him that's been put forward by, certainly in the United States, to a certain extent in Canada, and that is whether police officers, when they're on duty, should be exempt from facing criminal charges if, unless rather, unless it is demonstrably evident that they, with intent, broke the law. Should cops be immune from criminal charges when they're on the job? There's um, something called FIDO, which Scott told us about initially, and some police in the United States are practicing FIDO because they've been charged, they've been criminally tried, and FIDO is if they see something going on on the street then the police cruiser is there and the officers see it. They assess the situation, and if it looks as though to them that it could be, if they intervene, a situation that would come back and find them criticized or potentially charged, they say FIDO. The first word begins with F, and the rest of it is IT, drive on. We'll come back with Scott Newark. Stay with us.